0: Welcome to the Aspire podcast, a podcast all about the diverse stories of those who have aspired into vocational Christian ministry. As we share people's stories, we hope to excite, encourage, and equip you to consider what it would mean to aspire towards vocational Christian ministry. Rhys Besant is the Dean of the Anglican Institute and a Senior Lecturer at Rearley College. Rhys, thank you so much for coming on the Aspire podcast. Mate, it's great to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. You're welcome. Now we like to start our podcast by hearing a little bit about the story of those who are listening to. How did you grow up? You grew up in Melbourne, born and bred. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. So I had a wonderful family. They weren't Christians. I described them as God-fearers
1: rather than Jesus-believers. So we didn't really go to church or only very occasionally. Mum and Dad didn't teach me and my brother how to pray. But it was actually in high school, the beginning of high school, that uh, I started thinking about Christian faith. So three girls challenged with three guys to a debate at lunchtime on whether Jesus rose from the dead. We were arrogant 13-year-olds, so we did <laughs> no preparation. And we turned up, they whipped our butt, and then they invited us three back to Bible study and said, hey, given that you don't know anything, why don't you join us and read the Bible? And of the three, I was the only, one, the only guy who turned up, uh, the only leper who returned to Jesus to thank him. Uh and it was there that I kind of discovered what Christian faith was about. It was, I was probably 13 or 14, I think, and mm. then didn't go to the church for the longest time. Uh, my parents were a bit suspicious because the guy who was leading these lunchtime Bible studies was from a brethren assembly, and they weren't sure what a brethren assembly is or was. I don't know if many of them exist still. Mm. Uh, but then as a later, later in my teenage years, I started going to church. The youth group bus picked us up and took us to youth group and took us to church on Sunday
0: nights. Mm. When you were 17, you were an exchange student over in Europe. What happened there?
1: Yeah, it was wonderful. It was one of the most significant experiences of my life. I think I I described three events as kind of life-changing for me. One was becoming a Christian, the most important of all. Secondly, living as an exchange student in Germany as a 17-year-old. And thirdly, living in one of Melbourne Uni's residential colleges Queen's College as an undergraduate but I was yeah I was 17 I was in Germany uh, the first time I'd lived away from home uh, uh, my family was close so living overseas for a while with a strange family was extraordinarily formative in me just growing up and being my own person and exploring a part of the world mm, and, and I, I loved German so much that uh, I studied German at, at university as well
0: mm. Tell us about that. When you are at uni, you saw 10 of your friends become Christians. Yeah,
1: How did that come kind of, about? Yeah, I know. It's remarkable, isn't it? It has never happened since. So I probably don't describe myself as an evangelist primarily. I was living in Queens College, a residential college. I lived there for four years. And people came to Bible study. People came to our kind of camp each term or each semester, and literally ten people become Christians. And some of the most surprising people, some of the guys who lived on the sleaziest corridors and had the sleaziest reputations, became Christians. And I thought to myself, people do this for a job. They get paid to talk to people about Jesus or to run Bible studies. And I'd long since wanted to work for the Australian Foreign Affairs Department. So at uni, I studied modern languages, French and German and, and international politics. But then I started thinking, well, perhaps perhaps international, politi- international relations, working for the Australian Diplomatic Corps is not my thing. Perhaps I could even think about doing Christian ministry. And it seemed like no one really had planted that thought in my mind. And at that stage, I was attending, I'd begun to attend an Anglican church in Carlton called St. Jude's, just near the university, just near the university colleges. And that's where I started really seriously contemplating, well, what would it mean for me to pursue Christian ministry and, Uh, and to do more of what I had so enjoyed doing and and running Bible studies or giving talks, organizing camps, and leading people to Christ.
0: Mm. On this podcast, we've spoken a lot about calling, calling language, and there's a diversity of views, obviously, in the evangelical world, but personally, I actually really like the language, and I know you do too. Can you tell me a little bit about how how did you feel called, quote-unquote, then to go from yeah. studying undergrad german and then your ma then to pursue serving god full time as a christian minister
1: yes so i the, the language of calling
0: as you as you mentioned mate is is
1: controversial not everyone would have a, a clearly overlapping view on this for me calling is how god expresses his individual will for your life there's god's moral will We, in 1 Thessalonians 4, we need to flee immorality. God has a moral will for us. But I think as well, God has so knit me together in my mother's womb Mm. that my gifts, my experience, my personality fit with a particular kind of ministry. And that's the way I use the language of calling. And God distinctly opens doors and closes doors. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes the way he leads us is very gradual and and almost imperceptibly, but sometimes it's a bit more dramatic. And I think that kind of seeing my 10 friends become Christians at college was a more dramatic kind of way of God shaking me a bit and helping me to think about pursuing one path rather than another path. I had wanted to work with student ministry in German-speaking Europe, so I worked for the AFES for Christian Union, at Melbourne Uni for five years. I had been involved with them as an undergraduate as well. So it was a kind of natural next step to, to think, perhaps I should do student ministry overseas. And had pursued that, I took a couple of mission teams to Vienna in Austria uh, three months at a time so that I could get to know their ministries and I could train up students in kind of thinking about global missions. And I'd had interviews with their student ministry and it was all go. And then I got a letter in the mail saying they've decided never or not again to employ someone who wasn't Austrian, to only employ Austrians and not to employ expats. Uh, I found it really odd. I found it really hard Mm. to to where, actually. I'd been working towards that for 10 years. So that was a very clear closed door to overseas missions. Mm.
0: Uh, How did you overcome that that hurdle, Rhys, of just feeling that rejection of... They don't want me. I want to serve them. But yeah, me yeah I know. And, and,
1: and their policy was, they said, we can always find Americans or Brits or Australians to do the ministry in Austria. We have to take really deliberate, proactive steps to help Austrians do this. And so as long as we employ you, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. That was their line of argument. My response was, actually, my job is not to take money away from from the Austrian movement because the money would come from the CMS in Australia. And I saw my giftings as training up leaders. So I, 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 I played mm-hmm. my case that I, w- I wanted to see Austrians in leadership, but they thought that it would send wrong signals to continually employ mm-hmm. expats. Uh, it was, it was devastating. Um, one, because I thought, how can I use my German skills now? But secondly, uh, it was a dead end, though I had thought about whether ordination in Melbourne might be for me, and so in that ends up becoming the path I went down. God closed the door to, to keep me in Melbourne at that stage. I think. Mm. Uh, so Tell I, us
0: about your time at, at Ridley. You then studied for a bunch of years, really, five years. Yep. How was that formative for you? What did you learn? What did you experience? Any memorable stories from them?
1: oh uh, yeah. Uh, studying at Ridley was fantastic. Uh, what I decided to do was to write my essays or exam questions on areas of theology that I wasn't good at or hadn't done much reading in. So I'd worked for the AFS, so I was good at at, at speaking evangelistically. I'd read lots of books on the atonement. I got to practice why Jesus rose from the dead. I'd learnt my lesson as a 13-year-old that <laughs> I needed to be about that more. But there were lots of questions that I hadn't thought about hmm. as, a, as a campus worker. So I I deliberately sought out essays or exam questions or assessments that would stretch me that I wasn't good at. Uh, So that was fantastic. It rounded me out, I think, in ways that, uh, that doing ministry itself does not. That is, in ministry, we gravitate towards the people we like and we gravitate towards the ideas we like and the books of the Bible we like. Theologic education helps me to... Be stretched and to think about things that I hadn't really engaged with. So I, I made one of my big goals to pursue essay questions that had something to do with the doctrine of creation, mm. uh, whether that's kind of, in a sense, quite simple if you're studying the book of Genesis. But in ethics, I did natural law essays. And so really tried to push myself and, and develop my hand when it comes to thinking about uh the doctrine of creation or its application well, one of the applications mm. is how sacraments work in church what baptism of the Lord's supper is, is about so that was another kind of subset of the doctrine of creation And mm. had a good time I, I i loved ridley at least in part because i was developing relationships with people who were going on to work in melbourne that is uh, there are lots of options for me for study. But at Ridley, Ridley's one of the few places where all the tribes of Melbourne meet. Mm. It, it, Melbourne's a big city. We all gravitate to our own corner. You've got the AFES folk in that corner and you've got the church planning tribe in that corner and you've got the Pentecostal tribe in that corner and you've got the Global Missions tribe in that corner. And we can get by in Melbourne without ever actually meeting each other one of the one of the great things about kind of theology education, but I can really only speak for Ridley, is that the tribes meet and you have to eyeball each other and you learn from each other, and you sit at the dinner table with each other, and you develop peer relationships. and I, I might not agree with that guy on his view of the Holy Spirit, but I know he's working in my suburb down the road, and there's going to be crossovers between his church and my church. So it's good for me to, to get to know those peers in ministry who might be Anglicans and serve in the Anglican church with me, kind of down the line, but they might not be. And uh, that that's that was really very enriching. Of the subjects mm. I studied at Ridley, um, church history was probably my favourite.
0: Mm. I can see how that diversity of people, of backgrounds coming together is so helpful and so formative for the rest of your life. So I appreciate you sharing that. One thing I, I have noticed... In your little chronology of how you got into ministry is that you spent some time studying and then you went into melbourne AFS work and then you went to ridley so there mm-hmm. actually isn't any secular work in that timeline now i want to talk a little bit about that because there are some people i know in our kind of evangelical world who say you have to absolutely work in the secular world before you go into ministry i'm someone personally who didn't do a heap of work i did some work do you, can you talk to me a little bit about that? At the time, was that controversial? Uh, did people still support you just to continue going on in, on that trajectory? What was that like back when you yeah, did that? Yeah,
1: uh, I probably have missed out to something that might help answer the question. I did actually teach German at Melbourne Uni, so I did work uh-huh. in a non-ministry setting, but I was doing that alongside some other things and have had a number of jobs on the side. But you're right, on the whole, my my story has not been about taking three years out as an accountant or mm. working for four years in, in kind of IT, something like that. Mm. That's true. Uh, you know, you always think that you're the exception, right? Uh, on the whole, I think it's pretty good to do some work in the workplace and it's pretty good to mature through the kinds of experiences that you'll have rubbing up against people who aren't Christians and who see the world differently from you, So I, I have no problem with that. And for lots of people I'd recommend it, but I get it that sometimes that won't be necessary. And we do need to think, uh, 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 we need to be concrete and pragmatic. There are horses for courses. Uh, uh, some people, it's absolutely essential that they work in the workforce because they need to work out some things, uh, but for other people, I'd be less, I'd be less committed. And uh, yeah, I think I've got to use wisdom in giving that kind of advice.
0: Mm. You're an Anglican minister for seven years after you studied at Ridley. Any memorable things in those seven years you want to share?
1: Yeah, so, so I worked in a couple of different churches. One of them was. Uh, I'd describe it as a muddling, middling kind of parish. It kind of was a bit evangelical and a bit not evangelical. Um, I loved working there because I got to do a vast variety of tasks. So it was a generalist kind of job. I was marrying people, I was burying people, baptizing people, preaching sermons, taught scripture in the local primary school and so on. Uh, it was it was hard because my boss and I didn't share all theological convictions, but it was good because he gave me permission. And now I'm teaching at Ridley and I need to prepare people for all kinds of churches, not mm. just the ones that would be my preference to serve in. So I draw on that experience uh, of St John's Heidelberg often in my classes, uh, the kinds of issues I faced, the kinds of challenges I faced. So I actually, at the time it wasn't real easy, but I look back on it and I, I did develop lots of skills that I wouldn't have uh, in other parishes. And then after Heidelberg, I worked back at the church where I come from, St. Jude's in Carlton, in doing university student ministry, which is a blast, which I, I really love. And university student ministry kind of keeps you on your toes and kind of keeps you young. But uh, I probably learned more, actually, in, in the first curacy at St. John's Heidelberg, mm. even though it was kind of a, a not easy fit.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: God recycles our experiences, right? So mm. uh, I, I had no idea when I was working at Heidelberg that I would, 10 years down the line, be teaching Christian worship at Ridley and having to help people know what it means to, to take a funeral.
0: Hmm. You then came back to teach at Ridley, and you've been teaching there for ever since, quite a long time. I know you're a big fan of Jonathan Edwards. Can you give us kind of a a taste for what it's like to be a lecturer, apart from your your Edwards readings and all that stuff? What else do you do? You work with leaders. Tell us, what's the the life of Reese during the week? Yeah. So I give lectures
1: mainly on church history, but I also teach some theology and Christian worship. Uh, But it's a front. My job is to train leaders. And I train leaders by helping them engage with ideas from history or ideas from theological practice. So my heart beats for leadership training and helping people grow into being a public person, someone that the community owns. It's a very different kind of work being in ministry than being in IT or being a teacher. And you have to adapt, learn to think. To allow yourself to be a public person—that's kind of a kind of a strange thing. Uh, so, I'm—I'm I'm, my job here is to train people to be leaders, and I use church history as my chief tool. I teach all kinds of church history, but my research interest has been Jonathan Edwards, that great 18th-century pastor, preacher, prayer revivalist, philosopher. He did a bit of everything. He was a generalist in the end. Mm
0: really interesting you say that you you, you train leaders by teaching church history. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? How does that work? So doing Christian ministry is not about
1: communicating ideas alone. And doing Christian ministry is not just about helping people. Doing Christian ministry is helping people and ideas from the Scriptures to connect. Mm. some people go into Christian ministry just because they like ideas, and they like—I call them the glory boys—who kind of like being in the pulpit <laughs> and kind of telling people that you know what they know. And and there are other people who do Christian ministry because they want to be help—they want to be helpers that they want to help people, which is all fine. But Christian ministry is neither of those precisely. Christian mi- ministry is helping people take the ideas from the scriptures and apply them to their lives and ha- and apply them to their soul, right? And church history is brilliant, right? Because it's not just ideas and it's not just people. It's how ideas and people connect. And you have all these case studies through the last 2,000 years of how people have done it right or how people have done it wrong in taking the ideas from scriptures, applying them to the culture, or analysing culture, taking those ideas and applying them to people's lives or or the life of churches. So I I get this massive pool of case studies for thinking about how ideas and individuals meet. Now, in some lectures, in some church history lectures, you do a bit more on the idea side and in other lectures, a bit more on the people side. But overall, that's the skill I'm teaching. And uh, I, I figure that the person who tells the stories wins the day. That might be a little bit too postmodern perhaps, but (laughs) I think telling the stories can be a powerful way of forming people's ministry identity or theological identity because they like that guy or they like that woman in history, uh, but they don't like that one or that one. And so they're selecting into certain traditions and selecting out of certain traditions. But every time we select out or select into a tradition where we're telling a story about ourselves and and what it means to be the the public person the person for god in this particular context or world so i think yeah church history helps ideas and individuals meet but it also is telling the stories that actually can be pretty formational
0: Mm. let's talk a little bit about ridley college we've got a bunch of different representatives from different theological colleges for this kind of mini series and the intent was just to hear from different voices because a bunch of people in this podcast are thinking about which Bible college should I go to. There Wonderful. are a bunch of people in Victoria listening to this podcast, but there are also people in, in Sydney or other parts of Australia who are thinking about Ridley online. Tell us a little bit about Ridley. What, what's, what are kind of some of the distinctives about Ridley? What are some of the things you love about it? Yeah,
1: you know, I mentioned before that my experience as a student here, but also my experience teaching here is that all the tribes of Melbourne meet uh online, you'll, they won't necessarily be the tribes of Melbourne, but they'll be the tribes of Australia meeting as well. So it, it, um, our student base is quite diverse. That makes it much harder to teach here, but I think it makes it more precious to study here it's not without its challenges, right? Because you might assume that everyone in the world agrees with your view on X, Y, or Z, and then you're sitting in a class and you realise you're the only person who holds that view. <laughs> uh, and so that, for students, that can be weird sometimes. But I think it's my job then as the lecturer to manage that experience and help people see the value of hearing from other real-life individuals why they see things as they do, or how their story has shaped them in a way that they've come to this conclusion. So that, that there's that kind of uh, demographic diversity, but our students are uh, pretty conservative when it comes to thinking about the scriptures and, and ministry. So on that level, there's less diversity. There's a, a really wonderful core. Uh, Ridley tries to teach... In the three areas of Bible theology history and practical ministry skills now there are some colleges in Australia and around the world that deliberately only want to teach in two areas or one area Ridley deliberately tries to teach in all three areas uh, which I think is a strength we can't assume in Melbourne that people will develop their ministry skills in their apprenticeships or when they've left Ridley in their denomination. So we do teach plenty of ministry subjects and we have specialists with doctorates in ministry who teach those units. Um, So some colleges want to stress Bible and theology, but no practical stuff. Some colleges want to do Bible and practical stuff, but they're not good at ethics or church history. Different colleges stress certain bands or certain areas of teaching and learning and really we try and do all three which uh, Has its own challenges we have to buy all kinds of books for the library Not just two kinds of books for the library or something like that, but I think nonetheless that is a rich It's a rich experience therefore being on faculty when you've got those different voices and it. it's a rich experience for students enrolling in those kinds of units uh, really I think has the best campus experience in melbourne we have a wonderful site it's really accessible from the west of melbourne and from the east of melbourne just near melbourne zoo so there's trains and trams and parking and it's very easy to get to so there are those kind of more uh, concrete attractions as well Mm. We're middle-sized college so we wouldn't be of the largest college in australia we're not the smallest college in australia and because we're kind of a middle-sized college uh, there are Academic, there are faculty who have academic specialties, and the faculty are accessible. That is, it's not such a large student body that students can never get to see faculty. Most of us have an open door policy, Uh, but we're large enough that faculty have specialty interests, like mine with uh, Jonathan Edwards. Mm.
0: I love that the ability just to talk to lecturers whenever you want. Well, not whenever you want, but. When they're available, I just see so much fruit in that. One of the yeah. questions I've been asking all the representatives I've had on the podcast is a, a little bit about spiritual formation, just in light of kind of the re- recent events, last 10 years, 50 years, leaders falling. There's been a lot of discussion about spiritual formation, how at Bible colleges we do that. Any thoughts about how Ridley kind of seeks to do that spiritual formation, knowing that it's not just knowledge we want to get at Bible college, but also that yes. formative aspect? Yeah. So, uh,
1: We have a chapel service each day when you'll hear the scriptures preached, where we pray for each other in the world, where we learn to pray, to sing, take communion, and so on. So uh, some colleges have chapel once a week, some colleges have chapel every day, we have chapel every day. So that's the backbone of our life, where we're deliberately leaving the classroom and entering the chapel a different kind of space where we have a different kind of experience, where we're we're trying to put, integrate, think with our heads and with our hearts, and so on. So that's a that's the kind of a backbone of our of our community life. Uh, we also teach guided spiritual formation, which is compulsory if you're studying online and recommended if you're studying here on campus, where we're leading for credit, to helping students to think about how they experience church whether they have a mentor, how they should think about their personal spiritual lives, their, their own walk with the Lord. So we we think it's really important, and I think lots of spiritual formation anyway is caught as much as taught. Mm. Uh, so just seeing faculty, hanging out with faculty, hanging out with other students, being in prayer triplets, whatever it might be, uh, much of the wisdom of the Christian life is communicated Visually, mm. as we just pick things up. Uh, so, I think community life can help us in our formation. Online has a community life as well, a slightly different kind, of course. Uh, yeah, i i i want to I want to talk it up. I also want people, as much as they can, while they're at Ridley, to sit loose to their responsibilities at church, to have more energy and time for their relationships at college for this Mm. reason this might be a little bit kind of provocative but hey i think i'm going to go there uh please i i want people to take what they're learning at college and apply it in their church of course or in their campus group uh it's we're learning for stuff to be used right Mm. but the problem is often uh, if if you have a really strong focus on your local church or ministry you end up thinking, I'm just going to learn at college what I need for my ministry, rather than standing back from my ministry and saying, "Hey, I want to be in, I want to be of service for the next 40, 50 years." Uh, I don't know all the things I don't know. I don't know the things I'll need to know when I'm serving in East Africa or when I'm working with a bunch of church planners from North America. Uh, and so, withdrawing a little from your church community while you're studying. And seeing your church community from a distance as a kind of as an outsider can actually form you in healthy ways, not just for what you need to do this week, but what you might need to do or perhaps could consider doing like 30, 40, 50 years down the line. Right. So uh, I'm I'm really happy that people are taking their knowledge and applying it to their church. I do want people nonetheless, to be able to critique their church and not just do at college what they think needs to be done for their church now, if, mm. you, see, if you see my point. So I think learning at arm's length from your ministry context is actually a formative experience. Mm.
0: Interesting. But well, don't when you mean- say it like that, 40 to 50, 50 years in the future, you're right, that's a lot of time when you're going to be potentially serving God. So it does make sense to have a couple of years where you're fully committed to a community to learn and to think about things. So that makes a lot of sense.
1: If you're not a full-time student, you can still withdraw in an appropriate kind of way from all the things you were doing so that there's space in your head and space in your heart to think, you know what, I know that I've loved leading that Bible study and I love my pastor. I just think now that I've done a bit more reading and reflecting, that whole model is not so helpful for Australia, given that it's a North American model, or that whole pattern of spirituality was okay in the 1950s, but I'm not sure that's going to cut it in the 2020s, right? Um,
0: hmm. hmm. Reese, you've been so generous with the time, so I don't want to go too much longer, but I've got two kind of final questions for you. You mentioned Ridley online a little bit. For people who are kind of interested in that option obviously full-time is a great option too but do you want to just speak into that a little bit
1: yeah so it really has a wonderful online program we've put lots of effort and resources into it to make it as best as we can we don't just film a lecture in a classroom we we create the educational experience from scratch filming in the studio or my church history lectures, which we've filmed in North America or Germany or, or Britain, uh, because we can tell the story that way a little bit more effectively. Uh, and we've employed an educational designer who helps think from first principles about what makes for good online learning. It's not everyone's thing, uh, but we've done uh, the best we can and we're continually thinking about how we can do it better. To make sure that it's a really profitable learning experience, and there are a number of people do all their really studies online. There are a number of people who've done some units online. They decide it's not for them. They want to come onto campus. Uh, we've a student this year and his wife who were doing some online in Singapore, but they've decided that they want to be on campus, so they've moved to Melbourne to study, which has been which has been really tremendous. Uh, and seriously, the there are lots of places in Australia where theological education just isn't accessible, and without Uh, something like Ridley Online, if you're living in Outback WA or in Alice Springs, there's not going to be many other opportunities. So we've hopefully served the National Church through our online offerings as well. Mm
0: -hmm. appreciate you saying that. I've heard some really positive things about Ridley Online, so hats off to you guys for putting out that high-quality resource for many people. The way we like to conclude our podcast is to ask, do you have a top tip someone who's listening, they're thinking about going into ministry. What should they do? They're not sure about when or why or if. Any thoughts about what's a top tip for this person that you may have, or a couple if you're like Simon Gillam, who I just spoke to last week and gave me three instead of one? <laughs> well, I want to encourage people
1: to think about it uh, and to pursue Christian ministry. We have more people retiring than are entering. Anglican Ministry in Melbourne, for example, missionary societies are always looking for new people. We need people to do missionary, uh, to do ministry. Uh, if you've got a heart, then God can use whatever skills and experiences you've had, uh, and find a place for you to serve. So I don't think there's only one type of person who is suited. Secondly. Uh, I think it's really important to find an honest mentor who can be honest with you to help you to talk through your strengths and weaknesses, the kinds of opportunities that might lie ahead. So I want to encourage that person, not necessarily this week, but over the next few years to continue talking and thinking, um, to perhaps put their toe in the water by doing a subject at Theological College, uh, at Ridley at least. Lots of people come to college not knowing what they should do Mm. and at Ridley they find a discernment context they actually decide what kind of ministry they want or what they might or might not be suited for while they're here and so I think more and more, for us at least uh, at Ridley uh, theological education becomes a discernment process as well Uh, so not to be scared to reach out to a local college to to, to explore it with them I think Mm -hmm.
0: Reese, thank you so much for coming on the Aspire podcast. You've said some really interesting stories and some really helpful advice. So thank you very much. It's quite a pleasure. Thanks for the invitation.